And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Assen, the Cathedral of Speed. The MotoGP race takes us into the second half of the 2022 season. And we have just seen the factory Ducati rider Peko Banyaya run away with the race victory. However, would he have done just the same were it not for big drama between championship leader and reigning champion Fabio Quattararo, who came to blows early on in the Grand Prix with Aleish Aspargaro? What could have been come the flag? Toby Moody here with Simon Patterson and Valentin Harunchi to talk about Peko Banyaya back on the box in first place with a perfect race. Quateraro's admission of a rookie crash that got him a long lap penalty for the next race, the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Marco Betsecchi takes the first podium in MotoGP for the VR46 team. A little bit of history there. And we're going to touch on Aprilia. They could have won that with Aleish Aspargaro. Well, I just think that would have been a classic showdown at the final chicane that we've seen for so many years. Uh, Simon, we've seen it in World Superbike. We've seen it in World Supersport. We've seen it in Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP. I think that was going to be a cracker. What a shame those two came together. But Banyaya is going to take the 25 points anyway. I don't think it would have been a cracker, actually. I think that what we saw from Alicia Spagaro once he rejoined the track in 15th and came through the pack meant that he was going to clear off. I think that he had something special in the bag on Sunday. Um, <clears throat> I don't think we've ever seen that sort of pace from Alicia before. We've never seen him riding a MotoGP bike like that, but he looked incredible. He, he looked unbeatable, actually, despite the fact that he was having to do it from so far back. And uh, I guess the good thing is that we did get our last corner, last lap showdown. It was just for fourth and not for uh, first with what has to be one of the finest overtakes I've ever seen to make a pass that aggressive, uh, but also that clean as he did on, on Brad Bender and Jack Miller at once. Yeah, superb work. And, and that to uh, me... And risky. Yeah, absolutely risky. But I don't think... I think he was in a different mental state yesterday after getting bumped off the track. Um, he admitted that in his debrief, kind of jokingly, that uh, if if he had crashed, he realized that he realized that the, the the worst thing that could have happened would be that him and Fabio both wouldn't score points. And he said once he got into the top ten, he realized that there was a chance for for real points, a chance to really close down the championship. And he said he, he joked that he knew at that point that if he crashed again, it was going to be Fabio's fault, not his own fault. So he had nothing to lose. And that's why we saw those overtakes, those phenomenal passes. I think he said all of them came in Gertimer Chicane. He he said he passed every rider in, in the last chicane. And it was all because the Aprilia is so good through the previous, that fast left kink, that he was carrying so much speed into it that he could just do things that no one else was able to do there. So I've reviewed Alicia's race in its entirety, and there was one pass, not at the Gertimer Chicane. It was at the... Uh, right-hander before Ramshoek, before the Gear Timmer chicane, he passed Zarko as if Zarko was standing still, which Zarko's race was basically standing still anyway. But yeah, the rest of them were all very similar moves into the chicane that seemed really, really easy because he was carrying insane, amount, insane amounts of speed through that, uh, through that final sector. Looking at the sector times, I think Fabio could maybe do the same thing in that final sector. I... But we didn't we didn't get a, a proper look at Fabio's pace because he broke his bike immediately. But I think that if there was a duel, that might have been it, honestly. But it's it's you know it's all conjecture at this point, and only only one of them got to to have a race for the ages, and that was Alesh. It was a it was a it was an exceptional uh, performance, and I think it's one that will really like wherever the season goes from there. I think it's one that 
I described it as legacy making in a in a headline today, and I think honestly, it's I would I would argue it's more legacy making than his Argentina win because you know Argentina was a fairly straightforward win, whereas this it's it's something to talk about, something to remember. Yeah, look at all the races that Valentino Rossi won over the years, and the ones that stand out were the ones that came with truly exceptional performances, not the ones that won him titles or the ones that he won by thirty seconds. It's it's. Laguna against Stoner, it's Hareth versus Gibernau. Those are the ones that you remember, and Alicia Espagaro had his first one of those ever, I think, on Sunday. So after he had been through the gravel, he lost 8.5 seconds or so on that lap. Let's not forget that Alicia Spagaro started fifth, eventually finished fourth, including that 8.5 second run, Val, on that lap. But he's got dirty tyres, he's angry, but to settle himself down and to not be hot-headed, which, of course, he's got form for, is a, just another, yeah, ride of the day. Ride ride of the... One of the rides of the year, even? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's really one for, for the ages. Obviously, he had the he had the pace to... I think it would have been, like, maybe the unquestionable ride of the year if he was passing people at more than just Gert Timmer. Because it, it looked fairly like it looked like he had a plan that he was executing every single lap with with very little trouble, but no, it was, it was excellent, and it was it's it's excellent that he didn't didn't let it get to him that he rode very precise, very fast. That he honestly, I'm I'm a little bit surprised by the amount of risk taking, especially in the final lap, because if that went wrong, then you're still at 34 points back from Fabio. And if it, that goes right, I mean, that's a couple of points. But at the same time, I guess when you're fighting in a title battle with Fabio, you do have to make every point count, even now, even with nine races to go. And he did. And it was, it was, it was excellent. It was, it, was a, it was a joy to watch. And that, that for me is the reason why it is the ride of the year, um, because it's the first race this year, the first ride this year for Malaysia that has looked like the sort of ride that wins you titles. Winning and Winning in Argentina was great and all that, but it didn't. There wasn't that same sense of sort of exploiting a rival's weakness and pulling back something, and you know, the, he won it on Saturday night, Simon. Uh, yeah, Argentina, yeah, he did. he did. He did. He, he, he yeah. was. He was hot. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Martin gave it a good go. Whereas, whereas yeah. today was yeah. Uh, yeah. Sunday yeah. was different. Sunday felt different. It felt like him sort of putting it on the line for that title. He wasn't thinking about the title in round three in Argentina. He didn't even think it was possible then, you know? Not very many, not very many of us did. <laughs> not very many. Not none of us. None of us. No, not very many. I mean, there's something about coming back from the back. Uh, Brad Bender, Moda 3, Hareth, back of the grid, won the race. Nobby Awaida did it at Suzuka in 90, early 90s. It can be done because there's an element of psychology in the rider's brain of do you know what i'm just gonna rag it i'm just gonna absolutely i'm just gonna go for it and everything clicks and i saw a lot of that happen yesterday with Aleish, which is i'm just and it was controlled anger rather than hot-headed anger in my view val i don't don't know if there's a difference i think it's just a matter of like millimeters and stuff Mark Marquez's anger looked very controlled at Jerez when he went from 15th to 3rd and on the back of Maverick Vinales at the start of 2020. Then he chucked it in the gravel, broke his arm. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it's risk versus reward. And Aleix was on the right side of that uh, yesterday. But when you pass two bikes into, into the chicane on the final lap, that can always, there's always a chance that it goes wrong one way or the other. You know, he took he played the the odds and the odds came out in his favor and you know, fair game. I'm, I'm I'm not complaining there. I just I don't know that like that particular part did not look massively controlled to me. Just looked it looked risky as all hell. You, you know the old line about there being a really fine line between uh, genius and insanity. Yeah. I think Alesh was one foot in each side of the line yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I hope Peko Banyar isn't listening to this podcast because, uh, Peko, we, we, we must not forget that you won the race and you were hardly ever headed. So from your fourth pole of the year, he sped away. No one kind of saw which way he went. That's what the history books will say. Uh, the, 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 the crash will kind of fade into the distance. Um, 
We'll never know. We could, we could talk about this if, buts, and what's. Could he? Should he? Whatever have won it, but it is what it is, and he's taken he's taken a victory. But ultimately, it was only by point four of a second. He didn't completely run away with it. He did a massive wheelie at the end there over the line. Oh, so right, it should have been right. a second or something. A second, like but it, yeah, he wasn't five seconds. Uh, I hope he is listening to this podcast because uh, big <laughs> fan, uh, Peko, if you're listening, want to want to do an interview or something. Anyway, uh, it was a good it was a good ride. Um, it's just. It's not too little because he did, you know, the 25 points. So that can't be too little. It's all he did, but it's too late. It's just too late. But it's a really good ride by the rider for who, for all his errors and mishaps and for all his occasional buckling under pressure. That maybe isn't even occasional. Maybe occasional is a very nice word to use there. But he is the guy's best rider. It's just, you know, simple as that. He gets lap records on the regular. He's an absolute phenomenal performer in qualifying. I forgot the word phenom, so had to do phenomenal there. He's he's quick. He's really, really, really quick. So if there are days where Ducati's not going to regret trying to pursue somebody like Mir or Quartararo for, for one of their factory bikes for next year, it's days like this because they'll they'll see these performances from Banyai and they'll know that sooner or later he'll probably get us that crown. I, I don't think he had any risk of buckling under pressure on Sunday because there was no pressure to buckle under. Um, he was managing the gap to a rookie who's so important uh, was just to get that bike over the line and get his first podium. Um, you know, the rookie is one of his best friends in the form of Marco Bezzecchi. There was no real desire to do anything risky or stupid behind Um yeah, that yesterday was about as low risk, low pressure a situation I think as you could hope for in the current MotoGP grid to win a race in. Um, and I have to admit, I think Bagnaia was gifted it. I I don't see a situation in which he would have fought for a win had had Espargaro and and Quattararo not come together. Um, he just he had the pace for pole position, just phenomenal pace for qualifying, but I don't think he had the race pace. And uh, yeah, I think he would have been, I think he would probably have finished third or long distance behind the two of them, but that's the best he could have hoped for. I'm, it, we, we haven't seen anybody try to pass him. So that's, you know, that's sort of part of where I'm wondering how it would have been. But through that, through that final, through that final sector, I think, I think it would have been quite doable. Just looking at how Espargaro went through some of the other Ducatis with, with relative ease. Just setting up through the through the fast corners to the point where you already arrive at Garrett Timmer right on their rear wheel. And there's and then it's easy from there, basically. But it, you know, it would have been interesting. I I don't think he would have won. I after the race, I was thinking, well, Banyai didn't really didn't really have to show his full pace. So maybe he could have still done it, but listening to him after the race. And the fact that clearly it was weighing on, on his mind that he couldn't afford to crash again today. Uh, yeah, I think I don't think he would have won, but it, you know it's nice for Lady Luck to turn to him for a change too. That's you know to return the favor for the Nakagami bowling of Barcelona. He he did clearly have something in the bag more than what we saw because there was a stage where uh, Bezeki sort of started to close the gap a little bit and. Yeah, Bagnaia just responded just ever so slightly, yeah. eased it back out again, and just sort of said, "Nah, nah, nah, we don't. Do, we're not going to do anything stupid today." So there was more pace um, there to yeah. play for, you know, um, that he didn't need to use. But yeah, I don't think he had the pace for the the top three or the top two. Sorry to, to take it. Ultimately, over. ultimately, Aleish closed on him by six seconds while having to overtake ten yeah. bikes. Exactly. So that's, yeah, it's pretty simple. Exactly. You know, the truth table will, of course, say about Banyaya that the last six races, he's won three, not finished three. So as long as he gets the line, he's halfway there, isn't he? Which is Ducati's whole problem, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, which is why 66 points behind the leader of the World Championship. Still doable, but oh, it needs a downhill following win, doesn't he? Yeah, but it's also, I mean, I know that like there's there's been a a desire on our end to... to Cast Bagnaia is something of a disappointment, I think. That he's, you know, he, he buckles too much, he makes too many mistakes. But if you just, if you go two or three years back and you go, oh, there's going to be like five race stretches where Bagnaia wins three of them, it'd be, be quite something. 
wouldn't it? He's still very new. He's still he's still got room to grow. And ultimately, Ducati has bet right on him. It's just whether the question is whether it's like it's got another bike that it should have pl- placed somebody more proven on or not. That's that's my whole thing. I'm not I'm not like I don't have an issue with Pecco. I think Pecco's excellent. Even when he crashes, I think he's he's already better than we may have expected him to be coming out of Moto2, for instance. And I think uh, that race is proof in itself of why Ducati have gotten rid of one of their factory riders and kept their other. Because Bagnaia still has that room to go, whereas the, the Jack Miller mistake that cost him third and then eventually you know cost him fourth and fifth as well in the last sort of lap and a half was just textbook Miller. You could have predicted that Jack would try to overtake a turn one going way too, you know, at his first chance of being able to make an overtake. I mean, you know, he's going way too hot and run wide. It's, you know, he's had seven years to learn that and still hasn't. Which actually is leading into what I was going to say. You know, Quattraro and Banyaya have had the same amount of experience in MotoGP, but one of them came into MotoGP with a, with a well, with all the success that Banyaya had had and Quattraro had won... One Grand Prix. Yeah, so, and now look how it's changed. One and a half. One and a half, yeah. One race and a disqualification. So, so, on paper, when we started that rookie season for the pair of them, it was like, oh, Banyar's going to run away. How times they do a change. Yeah, we all expected Banyar to be a rookie of the year that season. But when we talk about the ultimate MotoGP thing, I think we talk about the talent ceiling, which you, you look at at the outright best performances somebody has showed in any junior class. And I think what, what Fabio produced in Sev Moto 3 for two consecutive years, I think still in terms of like pure talent, I think there was always the expectation that he has something more than Pecco. And maybe with Pecco that like his Moto 2 title was good. He's clearly, he proved himself as a, a MotoGP rider who can do really good things. But it was, it was a very, fairly narrow win over Miguel Oliveira, I believe. So I don't think there was this conviction that he could be an absolute top-level stud rather than just a good MotoGP rider. And I think he is a stud. I think he's got insane potential. And he, you know, he gets lap records every every single weekend. So I, I think that's something to admire from Ducati and from him. Let's not forget the Spanish Moto3 class is probably the second most competitive class in the world after Moto3. And he won it at 14. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then won it again at fifteen. Like, yeah, yeah, the talent that he showed at a very early age was was absolutely undeniable. Now that that's a very very good point, Simon, and thank you for reminding us. You can plot through a very rocky road of bad decisions and awful teams that led him to being a mediocre Moto Two rider on a speed up. You know, not not on a not in a Calix on a speed up. You can kind of plot the trajectory to there through injury and all sorts. Or budget. Um, but yeah. he, Well, not even budget, because he started with Estrella Galicia. Mm. But then he had that bad injury, and, you know, th- th- a lot went wrong. Um, a lot yeah. went wrong. And it, w- you know, it would have been a shame if he'd never been given the chance that we're now seeing him have. But uh, it's, yeah, the, the talent, my point is, the talent was always there from day one. No, that's a very, very good point uh, about the uh, CEV, the Spanish Championship. So then, um, well, the championship table is Quattararo leading by 21 points, not 34, ahead of Aleix Espargaro. Johan Zarco, we'll touch on him later. He's still in third position, 58 points back of the leader. And Banyaya, as I said a moment ago, 66 points back of the championship leader now that we're into the second half of the championship. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So Quattararo, he made the mistake. He lunged alongside Alicia Spargaro into the left-hander. He said after the race, I thought there was an opportunity to do that. I thought there was a gap. I thought that I could get through there. But by the time I came round the next time round, I was too far back, but I committed myself and I went down the road. Um, gah, I threw my hands in the air. I was screaming at the television. No, because he doesn't do those mistakes. Um on a regular basis. I know he didn't finish in um, at the end of last year. Where was it? Uh, Almeria. Um, Almeria in Portugal or something or other. But um, he, it's rare that that happens. Um, he, totted, he potted round. I thought, keep going, keep going, keep going. It might rain. There was a little bit of rain eventually. He came in. I'd love to know what that conversation was with, with, uh, with his crew chief. Uh, but they quite rightly said get back out, but of course he looped it again. Maybe a rear sensor was damaged, bit of traction control, it didn't look right. Yeah. But he was flipping lucky that he didn't hurt himself because if he'd hurt himself on the second time around, everybody would have just laughed like he was a clown. Um, and that's a strong thing to say because he's not a clown. But that was, that was worrying from my point of view. Yeah, two points there. First of all, I felt like a clown because I've spent the last 15 podcast episodes saying he never crashes and he did uh, it. And me. And me. Yeah, and he did it twice <laughs> in one race and at least one of those crashes was really dumb and it's the first one, not the second one. Uh, the second one, so when he came in, what, what he's told and what, you could read between the lines that he was not happy with his crew at all for sending him out again for on what was a, an apparently damaged bike because he wanted to park it. But they said, but what if rain comes in, just you know, poodle around, then come in for the rain bike if that happens. Not only did the rain not properly arrive, but apparently there was a TC failure or something like that. Or, but any, you, could, <clears throat> you could see from the crash that it looked weird. You could see from the crash that the bike wasn't, wasn't all okay. And it was a, I don't know, I understand why they sent him out, but at the same time, you could also very successfully argue that it's a, it's a stupid risk to take for one or two points when you've got a big championship lead because he had a he had a big fall and that could have been a lot a lot worse than it was and he still went to the medical center but would, like if he broke a collarbone or something uh, i don't know is that second crash he he needs to discuss with with yamaha it's pretty clear that first crash he needs to just never do that again easier said than done but mm. It's rubbish. It's not good. The The first crash was, yeah, it was a dumb error. Um, and I think it maybe hints at the fact that he is feeling under pressure from Aleish more than anyone else, that he felt the need to make a move that he wouldn't have made in anyone else on Aleish at that point in the race. The second crash was entirely Yamaha's fault as far as I'm concerned, and the team need to have a good hard look at themselves because they did the fundamental error of second-guessing the rider. Fabio came into the garage and told them that the bike wasn't fit to ride, yeah. and they sent him back out in a damaged bike. The bike had a broken sensor, traction control didn't work, he came around the corner, he got in the gas, there was no traction control, and the high side was inevitable. So the, the team second-guessed their rider. You can't do that whenever the rider is saying this bike isn't fit. Yeah. You, you, we've talked about this before, and I've written about it before for the, the race. Um, I'm of the opinion that MotoGP should have a BSB rule where if you crash, you don't restart because no one ever actually gains anything from mm -hmm. restarting in a MotoGP race after a crash. Val is waving his hands frantically. But no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. Um, Val, I've never seen him so animated. Paul... Valencia 2019 in the wet crashed the okay. mounted finish but 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 what but I, example I see what you mean, but I just when it's something we see yeah. happen on a regular yeah. you know what I mean that that's my yeah I the fact that there's one case yeah. that stands Absolutely. out and I think that only happened because they red flagged the race yes absolutely. yeah exactly yes. so so yeah I I you know um that could have been a lot worse yesterday, that second crash, because that high side was nasty. High sides are so much nastier than low sides anyway. Um, and when it's something unexpected, like a you know, like like a fundamental component of the bike just not working, 
You know, it's the equivalent of the front wheel falling out, doesn't it? These days, the traction control is that important. Yeah, it was spindle not being attached. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's all just wrong. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, we're in 2022. It's different from 2002. Uh, we were all watching the television thinking, now, is he going to get a penalty for that? And then the news, the, the ticker flashed up, oh, we're going to look into this after the race. And I thought, that's a bit rich. They're not going to commit. And then ultimately, come Sunday evening, they have given Fabio Quattararo a long lap penalty for the next Grand Prix, which is at Silverstone at the end of August. And hang on a minute, Val, Val, can you just give me a hand here? Because we just need to ratchet strap <coughs> Simon down for just a moment. <coughs> so the stewards have given him a one lap penalty, uh, a long lap penalty, should I say. Um, but being serious for a moment, from my point of view, if somebody like Taka Nakagami had done it, who's maybe a bit of a live wire, like him as we do in the paddock, would the world be pointing a finger at him and going, well, you're the, you're the, you're the paddock hooligan, it's always you, kind of thing. Yes, um, absolutely. But, of course, Quattaro is not the paddock hooligan. And, but likewise, he shouldn't be given special dispensation because he's leading the championship and he's the champion. I disagree with those kind of things. So a few people have said, like Maro Marigali in Yamaha, the penalty was severe and incoherent. Chaz Davis, FIA MotoGP stewards panel, doing an excellent job of deterring riders from actually racing in the future. Valid point, Chaz. A basic failure to recognise an unfortunate racing incident versus a blatant reckless riding incident. Everybody's got a view on hindsight. Um, it's life. The, the good thing is, morally, the good thing is, Quattararo went into Alicia Spargro's garage after the race. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And there wasn't a bad feeling between them. It's life. But it's opened the uh, the snake pit again, hasn't it? So, Simon, should we go with you first? Um, Val, knowing what's coming next for me, has asked for if he can go first on this one. Oh, okay. Okay, right. Over to you, Val. Uh, oh, boy. Okay, so... Man, a few points there. One is, I think when you discussed how Fabio, whether he was feeling the pressure or not, Simon, I actually think he was having one of those. Remember Marc Marquez at Argentina, Argentina where he felt he was entitled to pass everybody really easily and he rammed off first Rossi and then uh, Espargo. It wasn't the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't the same level of uh, aggression or recklessness, but I think it was a very similar mindset. Like what Aleish alluded to is that Fabio is riding so high a wave of confidence that he just feels that others need to get out of the way and he he owes it to himself to get him out of the way as soon as possible now with that cleared off um when so i'm i do have issues with how the, the situation was handled a bit that i don't really understand why it was investigated after the race i'm not really sure what the the pattern there is and how it's decided whether did they need to hear from fabio did they need to see the data i guess but that doesn't seem to stop him in, in some of the other occasions but that said, when, and Simon will attest to this, when the news of the long lap penalty came in, I was like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, and apparently, and I was really, really surprised, not because I'm very arrogant and think I'm always correct or whatever, but I was really surprised that there was a lot of controversy about this. Because to me, it felt like, yeah, he messed up. That's a penalty. He, he did a, a dumb lunge that backfired and it, hindered the race of another competitor i don't really see what's the big deal now clearly a lot of people have seen the big deal so i need to rethink my approach in in this sort of topic and also not cause a screaming match here but i also should say and before we hand over to simon that Chaz davies point about discouraging racing i think it's total nonsense not like i I've never heard of riders feeling discouraged from trying dumb overtaking moves by by stewards interference. Genuinely, I, I've never heard a single rider or a single driver in Formula One talk about it. Something riders and drivers always say that, ooh, harsh stewarding, it's going to discourage racing, nobody's going to race anymore. And it's always just, I, I've always found it to be doom-mongering, completely not true. But yeah, go for it, Simon. Let's, let's go. Let's dance. So... I've got two points, and none of them are whether or not Fabio Quadraro deserved a penalty. Um, the first one is that Quadraro got a penalty for that move, but 
two weeks ago, Takanaki Gami didn't get a penalty for a similar move. I was just about to say. The, <laughs> Jack Miller knocked off Juan Mir in Portimao this year. He didn't get a penalty. In Qatar last year, Jack Miller ran Juan Mir off the track deliberately and didn't get a penalty for it. Um, yet in Moto3, we see riders make genuine racing incidents where they make contact with a rider they didn't know that was even there because of positioning and viewpoints and whatever, and they're immediately given a penalty there and then in the race. Stewarding cannot be luck of the draw. It can't be pluck a penalty out of the bag, do it whenever you want, make it up as you go along, because that's just not how the rule of law is applied. You can't just willy-nilly decide on the sanction the level of the sanction and when you apply the sanction depending on what mood freddie spencer's in that day that's just not how it's done it, it it's not done that way referees don't give red cards in soccer after the game they don't award they don't bring all the players onto the field at the end of the game and say oh we've decided to give you a penalty now you know that's actually happened in the premier league i think ago. i think we're back to yeah, exception though that you know what i mean, though, you know but, what I mean. Yeah, yeah yeah but um it's, it's not stewarding needs to be done fairly and whenever it feels like it's being made up as they go along in every single situation it isn't fair you know we saw riders in moto three yesterday given long lap penalties for incidents on track but they were given the penalty there and then in the race they served the penalty in the race and they rejoined the race quadraro could in theory have served his long lap penalty yesterday from 24th place yes if the Absolutely. rules had been consistently applied across the, yeah. the day in the three classes. But they're not- Which is why I thought they sent him out. Yeah. I, I did have an idea that that might be a part of it. Yeah. And it, and it wouldn't happen at Silverstone, which would matter. Yeah. And, and that is, that's the fundamental issue here. It's the fact that the stewards just make it up as they go, seemingly. The, 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 you know, that there is just this complete lack of consistency. You know, I've argued for years and years that... W- the best stewards cannot be motorbike racers because motorbike yeah. racers aren't qualified to be stewards. And this is further proof of it because, you know, we're, we're potentially in a situation now where if Vinales, if, sorry, if, if Quadrao finishes second, not first at Silverstone because of this, because of the long lap penalty he had, has to serve, and then he loses the championship in Valencia by four points, Yamaha could be looking at a court of arbitration for sport case to decide the title because the stewarding hasn't been consistently applied across the season. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's the sort of thing that they're setting themselves up for. I think it is. Well, I think it is a question of transparency that you say that we do. Like, I think the transparency has gotten a little bit better these last couple of weeks, in that there's. F- more detailed decisions if that makes sense yeah there is yeah there is but they they do need to explain why it was investigated after the race well we we say there are more detailed decisions there are decisions that come from decisions they know are there are more detail comes to decisions they know we're going to get attention we've had more detail in Akigami and we've had more detail in Quadraro we've not had more detail in any of the Moto3 incidents that have similarly left people befuddled um and, and in theory, we need that like three or four paragraphs of description for every, from every penalty yes, if we're to understand their logic behind yeah. the bigger picture, because it's about the bigger picture. I know. I think they need to explain why it was a post race investigation. Yeah. I think yeah, exactly. I think it is too much luck of the. I like. I'm I'm still bewildered that the you know the Mir Miller thing in Qatar didn't yield anything. I'm still bewildered that the Nakagami thing didn't yield anything. I think. Just thinking about it, because we haven't heard from the stewards, obviously, but thinking about it more and more, I can kind of see the logic. I don't agree with it at all, but I can kind of see the logic where the Nakagami crash doesn't bring a penalty and the Quartararo crash does. And in that, if you like Zapruder, the Nakagami incident, you look at it over and over again, the stewards could get themselves to think that by that point he had completed his overtaking maneuver and then he just got the braking into turn one wrong, irrespective of whether or not he was trying to pass a rider. Whereas Quartararo specifically erred in trying to pass a rider. It's flimsy logic. I 
Don't like it. He, no, he got his braking. No, I am going to interrupt you. He got his braking wrong and then really, because he was going too fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, no, but uh, like. Quattararo, that is. Yes, no, but, but I mean. Nakigami too. For Quattararo. Exactly, they were the same thing. What, I, what I'm trying to say is for Quattararo, it happened while completing an overtaking lunge from behind. Whereas for Nakagami, he just messed up turn one. He, he was trying to, he was going to try to pass two riders, but he wasn't coming from behind. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, Again, yeah, yeah, devil's yeah, advocate, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out. The yeah, logic. no, no, I no, that, no, that no, no I agree. It. I agree. I, I, you know, you two are very into it and, and particularly, well, the pair of you, 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 you see all the decisions, you see all the other two decisions. I look at it a bit further back, which is, has this bloke got form? What's his part? What's his nature? What's he like when he's in the steward's room? Oh, we'll have to... You know, and if he hasn't been in for a while, doesn't that say something? And you just... It's a qualitative judgment, not a quantitative judgment. And that's where this whole discussion comes from. Um, it is a human judgment that is being given out as a penalty or not a penalty. And it's very frustrating and it gets a lot of blood pressure up and takes a lot of minutes on our podcast. Um, but I just look back and go, what happened to Marco Simoncelli at Le Mans in 11? They just took him in and went, just flipping calm down, will you? And BSB do this, you know, it's the just go and have a chat, just cool it and whatever. But they don't need to have a chat with Quattararo. Um, maybe I'm wrong, and this is the first of many lunging incidents, but I'll tell you what, I'll put a big bet on the table, as I'm sure you all will, and go, this is a one-off. I just want to look at the bigger picture, and I just think it's a bit strong. In the context of, context of the bigger picture, look at it from this way. On Saturday in qualifying, Jack Miller did something really dumb. Mm. Really dumb. He mm. rejoined on a crashed bike that he had no no need to be on track in the final minute of qualifying on a bike he wasn't going to restart on and he almost had a really fast really fast collision with Maverick Vinales he got a long lap penalty for it same as Quadraro that's the third time this year Miller's been sanctioned for something yeah. and there was the incident with with uh, Mir at Portimao that everyone expected him to be sanctioned for and he wasn't so that's his fourth offence this year that's his form that's his form and yet he's not having anything done to him to make him, you know, under the old penalty point system, he would be back of the greater race ban now. But mm. but because we scrapped the penalty point system, there's no, and this is, this is again, this goes to the consistency of stewarding, there's no repercussions for multiple offences yeah. anymore. This, this makes a really good case for the penalty point system, which would accomplish what Toby wants without leaving it as open as to personal biases, which mm. obviously always mm. exist. Like you don't want stewards going. Oh, this guy's kind of kind of rude and obnoxious, so he gets a slightly bigger penalty. But I think penalty points protect against that a little bit. Can you imagine if you've been driving on the public highway anywhere in the world for thirty-five years and you break the speed limit by three miles an hour or five kilometers in a in a in a in a town, thirty miles an hour, fifty clicks or whatever, for the first time in your life at thirty-five kilometers, but you get six months bright driving ban. Yeah. The same as the guy from the next village over who's just been done for drink driving for the second time. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, no, no, no. I was gonna say, Simon, who's got the points? You know, it's three points here, three points there, three points nine, three points you're banned. So you got four sets. That's the way I look at it. In the UK at least. I don't know where it is in the rest of the world. That's the way it works. And you, you get a telling off, you, you have to go to the driving instruction course, you get penalty, you have to pay more on your insurance and all that kind of stuff when you're on the public highway. Um, that's what I advocate in MotoGP. And I thought that it worked when we had a penalty point system in MotoGP. But ah, we, we, we mustn't talk too long because we've got other people to talk about. But that's just my 10 penneth. I... I would say that my problem with that comparison in this particular case, not in general, but in this particular case, is I don't think what Quartaro did was a minor offense. Okay. I, I okay. found it to be major. Okay. I thought what he did was majorly wrong okay. and deserved a sanction beyond just retiring from the race. Um, but that said, I also would like, like with the Miller point, so the other problem with it is uh, Jack Miller has not shown much in the way of repentance for his sanctions. He always does not agree. Yeah. He has never gone up and gone, yeah, that, you know, that was deserved, which also maybe should play into it a little bit because then he's just going to keep 
approaching it the same way he's approaching, which Jack Jack is not is not like he's not a problem. He's not a menace. I'm not trying to say he's like a menace or out of control, but he there's been enough incidents to where it needs a closer look. And yeah, I again the penalty point system, the unfortunate uh, casualty of Sepang in Valencia 20, 2015, maybe with a rethink and a revamp and like a lot of time spent looking at it, I think it could be quite useful. Yeah. So so just two points, because I'm aware that no one wants to listen to me ramble about penalty points and whatever for too long. Um, one is, I think that one change that could be made right away is that the penalty, the long lap loop should not be something that's awarded mid-race because then it's an unappealable penalty. By all means, keep it, but award okay. it after the yeah. race. Don't award it mid-race. Make all decisions after the race, and then at least you're creating some fair fairness, unless it's something like a right through or a jump start. Jump starts are different. But what if, let's say, imagine that that Quartararo Spargaro thing happens for like first place, right? And Quartararo is the one who stays yeah. on and goes on to win the race. I think MotoGP has within its interest to prevent guys who have... But, made but then an offense. do what they used to do in a word of three second penalty. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It just yeah. the instant penalty with no option for recourse or appeal. I don't like. I agree. Make all decisions post race, yeah. and then there's an element of fairness that's introduced immediately. And it also allows you to penalize people who have already ruined the race, which I think is, exactly. is important. Exactly. Uh, but the bigger picture to wrap up the whole thing here is just I love Assen. I love going to Assen. We had three, four phenomenal races this weekend. Moto 3 was incredible. Moto 2, unusually, was incredible. The Moto E Moto races e race. were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The Moto GP race was fantastic. And it's post-race and everyone's talking about the stewards again. Ah, uh, that's a shame. Good stewards, good referees should not be mentioned in the media. And every weekend we end up talking about them and it just... It tires me and it frustrates me because it feels like it's draining all of the fun out of this amazing spectacle at the minute by just constantly having their decisions like this. It just... And me being the older guy is, all of a sudden, is... We didn't talk about stewards much in 20 years ago. Well, I made this point Unless earlier. somebody was a complete buffoon yeah. like Caparossi skittling six people at the first corner at Mategi yeah. one year on a Duke. Okay, right. Or somebody. It was few and far between. So is it just a thing of the third decade of the 21st century? I made the point earlier, Toby, on Twitter that Rossi versus Gibernau, Hareth 2005, oh. would have been a long lap penalty. Rossi against Stoner 2008, Laguna Seca, Laguna. would have been a penalty. Yeah. You know, yeah. Th- those iconic races wouldn't have existed as iconic races. Here's me being a. Uh uh, I don't know if I'm a millennial or whatever, but he's me, me being obnoxious. I think the Jibber now thing should absolutely have been a penalty. That is not a legitimate win in my book. So, <laughs> whoops. Right, well, yeah. that's another hour of conversation, that is. Yeah. That's a whole different podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The marshals sweeping up the glass bottles that were thrown onto the track after the race. That's how passionate that was. Uh, but anyway, okay, let's just uh, take a break for a moment. Uh, go and find yourself a drink. Get a nice biscuit, and we'll pick up with the uh, with what really happened in Aston in just a moment's time. Just kidding, it's more Stewart's talk. <laughs> <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A first for the VR46 MotoGP team was a podium at Assen. And how does he write the script that it's always at the call circuits? Good old Valentino. He just still, he's still got the, he's still got the angel dust, doesn't he? Um, Marco Bezzecchi coming home in second position, not a million miles away from the victory. I know it was about a second or so on the last lap. Banyaya wheelied. He lost a bit of time, but ooh, can you imagine uh, a first podium for Marco Bezzecchi as well? Um, a little bit of rain, he said, not a problem for me. I almost enjoy it. I did not slow down. I would only slow down if the rain was beginning to hurt me on my neck. Brilliant. The celebration, the scenes of everybody outside that garage to going up towards Park Ferme at the end of the race. That's what racing's all about. What a boy. Great. He, he, he got half a chance of a victory with a race like, with a, with a ride like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if it rained a little bit more, I think he would have won. Honestly, I think if it rained just a little bit more, I think Banyaya would have been a lot more shaken by it. And it, it does sound like Bezeki has something of a reputation for being very, very good in that kind of condition. Just it was, it was a really good weekend yeah. that like, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to spend as much time talking about it, say, the, the Gian Antonio poll. But that's <clears throat> that's only because it's more expected. Bezeki's had a really good season. He's had a really, really, really good season. And this is the icing on the cake. Qualified really well, helped by a toe from fellow Rossi protege Banyaya, but still, you know, had to make Q2 and was clearly very competitive in Q2, toe or no toe. And then very smart, very good race with some overtaking and keeping his much more experienced fellow Rossi protege honest for, for so much of it while staying on the bike, which has been... We mustn't forget that Marco Bezzecchi comfortably leads the uh, crash table in MotoGP this season. That's the one really problem with his rookie season that he's written off a lot of Ducatis. But he's he's very good. He's been, it's, it's, it's a great, 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 great rookie season. I think with this, he probably sues up rookie of the year and it's well-deserved because he's been, he might, might just turn out to be something special, Marco. Yeah, so like you said, the, um, the celebrations in the garage, the reason why the VR46 guys always do well at cool circuits is because the VR46 guys are all clones of Valentino Rossi and exactly. these are the tracks that he goes well at as well because they're the old school traditional iconic venues um, it was great to see the scenes in the garage, um, a little bit that might have slipped by on TV um, there was a, a Dutch mechanic worked at VR46, uh, worked at Patronus called Robin Speechers and Robin went it was on Valentino's side of the garage at Patronus and went to VR46 after that team folded. And he's got a little tradition that I think is in the VR46 social media channels that he did yesterday as well, where there's one link in the chain on Bez's bike that's painted with a Dutch flag. At every race? No, no, at, at, at Assen. Oh. Only at Assen. And the Dutch flag got the podium yesterday. And I think that that's, it was very much, it was Robin in the very centre of the celebrations and everything like that, which was just, it was great to see. Um... I don't think there's a world now in which Bez isn't on a Bastianini-esque career tra trajectory where we see him podium a few more times this yeah. year and win a few races maybe before this year's out or at the start of next year. Um, I think that's the path he's on. He is obviously a superstar. Um, he is an awesome character for the sport because he is the most Valentino-esque of all of the VR46 riders uh, in terms of personality and attitude and just happiness um he's a good guy and i think he's going to do wonders for the sport and i think he's gonna yeah we're gonna see him win races soon he's he's the one where they changed the genetic code the least while cloning definitely yeah yeah okay then random subject change but you'll get my thread val what posters did you have up in your bedroom when you were growing up who was your hero just quickly um, just quickly all right so rem the 90s alt band okay simon um, I didn't really wasn't really into posters. Um, but okay, I, who's I your hero? Up in road racing. I grew up in David Jeffries. Oh well, you and me both. Uh, you and me both. Yeah. Uh, who's my hero? <laughs> Frank Lampard. So. Okay, right. Okay, Damn. for me, Keki Rosberg or Stephen Roach, cyclist. Uh, right. But can you imagine having those posters on your wall and then playing in the REM band Val, playing in the football team, yeah. Simon 
going to win the TT like David, me cycling in the same team or that was being run by Stephen Roach. That's what Betzeki's going through. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, the, beyond a fairy tale. Can you imagine what it feels like? He must be, right, he, he, of course he's got his serious moments. He walks to the garage and he's, this is work. I've got to get it right. I've got to speak to the data entries. And then, are they paying me to do this? <laughs> I, I'm not sure Bez has many serious moments. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, a side note, you've made me imagine being booed off the stage because I'm butchering losing my religion. So, <laughs> which we can, which we can have as a bonus yeah. episode if people like. But you, no. but you would, but you wouldn't butcher it because you'd be good at it, like Betseki is. I, I, it's, I like, think it's a great story. And as he says, you know, he got the yellow flag on the cool down lap when the marshals had it, and uh, he said, "For me, he is my icon. He is my idol." Well. We have to go a long way for these kind of stories to happen again in MotoGP, I think. My favourite Bez moment of late was, uh, so all the riders now come to the media centre to do their media debriefs in the evening, which is so much easier. And uh, we were in Saxon Ring last weekend and Peko had just finished his media debrief and was sort of quite dejected about life and was standing eating a hot dog off a plate and Bez arrived. And Bez was just standing talking to him. We were sort of watching from a distance. I don't know what... um, Peko said to Bez or vice versa, but Peko just absolutely, Bez just absolutely threw his arms around to be given this big hug while uh, while Peko had a mouthful of hot dog, and it was just a very human, very very honest moment from uh, from Bez. It was kind of very indicative of what he's actually like as a person. No, they're a cool bunch. The VR forty six guys, they're they're all really really quite. Sweet lads, yeah, I think. They are going to win a MotoGP race. They have won a Moto2 championship. They are going to win a Moto2 race, a MotoGP race. And oh, it, 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 I don't care how old Valentino will be, you know, there'll be still something that he will be doing in motorsport when he's 74 years old. And it'll still be as cool as when he won Assen on a 125 in 1997. Uh, it's just, he's got the angel dust. Brilliant. Just brilliant. Okay, uh, we mustn't forget, um, in all of this, stewards, people knocking each other off, Banyaya winning the race, Who? question mark. Uh, Vinales, I've not rated the bloke. I've not been a fan of Maverick Vinales of late. And there he is, he's third on the podium. Um, it proves again what Alicia Spargaro could have done yesterday. Um yeah, I eat a large slice of humble pie and I'll have a bit of cream, please. Uh, re- remember post-Saxon Ring me saying that Marek Vinal is 2023 MotoGP champion? Clearly I'm correct. Clearly it's, it's happening. <laughs> right, cut him off again. Okay. Where's the button? Cut him off. Uh, Simon, please, cut him off. This is not betting advice, please, guys. Just remember, <laughs> don't do not do it. But he's good. He's, he's you know, we, we've always known Marek Vinal is capable of something special and he's still nowhere near his peak on that Aprilia I think his peak is much much more than that and if he reaches it then we'll have a super fast guy who maybe is still a little bit of a of a of a weird confidence machine to where if a weekend goes wrong it goes really wrong but at the same time does not crash oh last time I said that it cost Fabio to crash twice <laughs> but Vinales has zero crashes this season none so that's quite something, right? And it's just it's it's a trend through his career. He stays on bikes. So I think he could be a, a serious factor in 23, genuinely. Yeah, me too. I, I think that he like we have to look at him now and, and say, Well, this guy is delivering on exactly what he said he was going to deliver on in the way he said he was going to do it. He's building himself up, he's slowly converting himself to a Prilia style. Exactly like he said on roughly the timeline he said he was going to do it on. Um, but the moment for me on Sunday that really encapsulated everything more than anything else is he was in the winner's enclosure, just finished his TV interviews, and Alicia Spagaro came to see him. And the two of them had just this long, long hug where they were talking, whispering in each other's ears. And that's the reason that Vinales is suddenly fast now. He was never not fast. He was on the podium in pole position here last year at Assen on a Yamaha with a team that he despised. Um, but but he's found someone that loves him now, and that makes all the difference. And and yeah, I can't see it going any way but up from here on in. He is going to be a massive threat. 
And if you do want MotoGP betting advice, let me direct you towards uh, former John McPhee, Jake Dixon, and Ayumu Sasaki crew chief Mark Woodage, a.k.a. Brains, who put a £5 bet on on Saturday that Sasaki would be top three, Dixon would be top three, and Maverick would be top three, Ooh, and walked away, with, walked away with 1,047 pounds from his five-pound bet. Ooh. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a good bet. That's yep. a man who knows his stuff. I'm, yep. I'm not a betting man. Yeah. I'm not a betting man, but that's good going. Yeah. That's I'm good less going. impressed by the money than I am by... Like, that's <laughs> just, it's just cool. It's really cool. <laughs> Right, well, we better find out what hotel he's staying in at Silverstone so that he can buy the beer. He Simple is, as. Um, um, he's going to love this because he knows he listens and he's going to love what I'm about to say, but he's working in British Supersport this year and massively wasted as one of the unfortunate mm. casualties of the fallout of the Patronus mess. <laughs> he said massively wasted. I thought he was working well under the influence. <laughs> <laughs> he, he will be next week, Ed, once that back yeah, clears. clears. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, um, KTM haven't had a great run, have they? Um, I mean, I bumped into Danny Pedrosa at Goodwood. We had a bit of a catch up. Um, I'll keep some of the conversation to ourselves because I don't want to put him in the in the poo, shall I say? But uh, but Brad Binder, yeah, they've t- he, again again, Mister Sunday, fifth position. What did he say in his debrief by the time he was upstairs in the press office? Um, so he, in theory, actually, Brad was on for a pretty good race on Sunday. Um, it looked like he was going to be fourth until the well, until the last hundred meters, um, and he did. He did say afterwards, whenever he was asked about whether or not Alicia's pass on him and uh, Jack Miller was over the line, he was like, "Hats off to the guy. That was fucking superb. That was just incredible." Um, so it wasn't a terrible weekend for them. Um, Oliveira, I think, was the most unfortunate because when Juan Mir activated his whole shot device on the grid, he braked very unexpectedly. Uh, Oliveira ran into them and took all of the wings off one side of the bike. Um, so he, he was basically neutered from, from the beginning and to finish ninth with a bike on at Assen, of all places, um, with a bike that was pulling to one side. Yeah, no, I think he did quite well, actually, in the end. Um, same thing happened. Miguel Oliver or happened. Luca Marini actually, who made contact with Rins after the lights went out, took off all the way. It was Mir. It was Mir again. Mir again. Rins. Sorry, Mir again. Yeah. So a mega run from Oliveira to ride that much of a stricken yeah. motorcycle to be only eight seconds off the victory. Uh, Marini thirty seconds off the victory. Doesn't that maybe say we're going to start the discussion? Do we really need these wings? If they're thirty seconds slower, is that? taking the show away not i mean we don't really need them but, no, that's, but that's a whole different podcast yeah i think more of the discussion is you don't want a device that makes you yeah breaks correct hard on the, on correct. the grid yeah. because that's that's not good um i i thought bender sounded a lot more alive after the race than he had for a while because i think the the consistent underperformance of the ktm in qualifying and having to do massive salvage jobs i think was getting to him and this this time they weren't great in qualifying, but they were much better than the previous rounds, and that set him up for a competitive race for meaningful positions. And I think I think he sounded f- like with Brad, he all, all like he's never he's never like surly like some of the other riders get surly. Like the way you interpret it is, it's the more PR-ish his answers yeah. are, the more unhappy with things he is, and like for he showed a lot of character after after that. After that, Aston right. So I think he needed that. Even if it's not fourth, it's fifth. Yeah. I think he needed the, that. The other thing is Remy Gardner kind of hinted that the the new parts, the new chassis and swing arm that they tested in Barcelona at the test that seemed to make a big difference. I think when we come back after the summer break, KTM will be bringing eight of those along. Um, and maybe a slightly refined version of them that they're hoping, you know, let's, let's not forget that last year they had a dire start to the season. They brought a new chassis to Mugello and then they went in a winning streak. And then um, again... So if, bad. yeah, yeah, I know, and then and then again it went down again. But but if that winning streak only starts after the summer break, at least hopefully you know they can add the year a bit more positive than they did last year. But there is something coming that might make things a bit better for them. I was at Goodwood and at the weekend, and I was about five ten minutes away from the the the, the hill climb, 
and I just came into a village and there was the village sign on the left-hand side of the road and it had a 33 Brad Binder sticker on it, quite big, kind of about 15 centimetres square. And I thought, did I just see that? What That was the, the 33, the BB, the colours of the South Africa flag. And I thought, yeah, that, that was. So I went through the village and looked in my rear mirror when I exited the village. There was another one on the sign going the other way because the village was called Binderton. so if you're listening and you put that sticker on the sign fair play you got yourself a mention that's really fun really cool um well at least they got a corner named after valentino at silverstone already hey yes 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 yeah (laughs) Yeah, for the vero 46 academy you've got it you've got it um uh, talking about uh uh, Goodwood, uh, Wayne Rainey, Kenny Roberts, Mick Doohan, Kevin Schwantz, Jeremy McWilliams. We've all seen the pictures. We've seen the video. My goodness me. The the, the, the images, the emotion of the 1992 world champion there with Nigel Mansell, who won the Formula One title in the same year. Photos together. The sun was shining. The colour of that red on the Marlborough Yamaha, just out of this world. I do want to give a mention to a guy called David Jew. And David pulls together all the motorcycles and all the superstars for Goodwood, uh, for the revival, for the Festival of Speed. And uh, if it wasn't for David, who we've worked with in the MotoGP paddock in years past, he was the press officer for Repsol Honda, Nicky Hayden, when he won the championship in the mid-zeros. Just if you're listening. And who's back in the MotoGP press office at the minute? Uh, back in the MotoGP Media Center working with Triumph yeah, for the yeah, Moto2 project. Yeah, got an agency. They're busy in the world of, of mainly of two wheels. But Dave, uh, yeah, well done. Uh, it's all down to you that you pull these names together. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant to see. Okay, um, now we're coming into the summer break. Five weekends without a MotoGP race. So we've got a few podcasts lined up. Uh, that we are going to pull together before we get to Silverstone at the end of August. Uh, Do continue to send in your questions, your little voice messages, to podcasts at the-race.com. We did a podcast the other day, a couple of editions ago, going through a dozen of your questions. So give us a good one, and then we will pick it out. In the meantime, we've got one question as to uh, to answer today. Hi, this is Lavinia from Romania. I was wondering how do you explain Alesh's race from Assen? I mean, where did he find the extra resources from? He's competing with the best riders of the world, yet he made them look like amateurs on a Saturday track day. P.S. I still remember the surprise one of you had when at the beginning of the year he said he saw himself as a championship contender. Hi, Lavinia. Well, you... <sighs> You can't really blame us, can you? He had no MotoGP wins before this year, no wins in any class, no, I think, one podium in in the Premier class. None of us thought he was bad. We, we were gushing about him for, for a fairly long time, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's a big step to go from that to, to title contender. As to, as to the question itself, um, I think, this is, this is my viewpoint, I don't think he found anything extra so much as I think he and Fabio were clear of the pack very comfortably, and Fabio knocked himself off. So, Aleish, he was his pace was balanced just right to be able to take advantage of the Gertrude chicane over and over and over again because he was very comfortable through the through the high speed corners, which he said was down to the side pod, the new side pod arrow that Aprilia introduced in the Barcelona test, was it or something like that? Yep. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was a really, really big part of it. But also, it was just, it was just really good. We we all expected the Aprilia to go quite well at Assen. I don't think we expected Aleish to be better than Maverick because Maverick's so good at Assen. But apparently, Aleish was. So, yeah, it was just, you know, it was it was a, a weekend of excellent form aided by a track configuration that suits the bike. Also, Aleish, I think, is historically pretty good at Assen. And also, he was really mad, and that appeared to help. I did an interview at the very, very start of the season at Sepang Testing before we realized how good the new bike was with uh, Aprilia boss Massimo Rivola, and he listed off all the circuits that were going to be targets for Aprilia this year, and Aston was number one on the list. 
So I think what we saw was a combination of a track that really suited the bike, uh, a rider that loves the track, a rider that was angry. Never, never underestimate the power of anger. Um, and and just the fact that this season has been exceptional for Aprilia and that he's head and shoulders above the rest. Not head and shoulders above all of the rest, but head and shoulders above most of the rest. You know, He is statistically the second best rider in the championship at the minute. And the best rider in the championship is in the gravel. Exactly. And when you're on form, it breeds confidence, and confidence breeds confidence. And I've yeah. whatever. You just don't want to have too much confidence because, as Mark Marquez has discovered, that's when it gets very dangerous. Uh, thank you, Lavinia, for your question. Uh, do send in your other voice messages, podcasts at the-race.com. So keep in touch with the-race.com with our website. We've got a lot of you coming in to read the stories, particularly in MotoGP, that have been put together by the team led by Simon and Val. So thank you, guys. There's lots of work that those two put in. So thank you so much. Uh, You do need a rest, Simon. Please do. Get in the van, get on the top of a mountain, look at the view and stop for a bit because you do need to. Still a long way to go. Um, In the meantime, we will be back next week with another MotoGP podcast. So it remains for me to say thank you, Val. Thank you, Simon. And we speak to you soon. Take care. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.